Hi, you're listening to Dancing Dog Blog. This is Mary Haight, your host, and we're here today with Dr. Robert Silver, President-Elect of the Veterinary Botanical Medicine Association and former owner and medical director of Boulder, Colorado's Natural Animal, an integrative wellness center for pets and their people. With 31 years in companion animal medicine, surgery, and dentistry, Dr. Silver has been on the cutting edge of integrating the best of alternative medicine with modern conventional veterinary medicine for the last 20 years. A past member of the Board of Directors of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association and their Council of Elders, Dr. Silver put a strong emphasis on wholesome nutrition as a basic foundation for optimal health. He currently designs nutraceutical formulas for RX vitamins for pets and is a veterinary medical consultant to the pet food industry. Welcome, Dr. Silver. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being with us today. I heard you'll be speaking at Pet Food 2.0 Conference in Chicago in September. That's true. Um, I wrote a paper about the impact that consumer activists have on the pet food industry. It's a very interesting topic that's uh, that they've asked me to present there as well. well that, that's something that's near and dear to my heart. What is this new this year pet food conference all about? Well, I'm kind of the hired hand, so I don't know all the details of it, but as best I can figure out, they're, they're discussing the science of formulation, which I think is where I come in, of packaging and distribution. And it's primarily directed, I think, to the pet food industry more than, and, and all the, all its ancillary connections, you know, versus the pet food consumer. But I suspect there'll be quite a few um, consumer activists there as well wanting to get more information, get more educated, and interface, you know, with the pet food industry. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to that, actually. I'll be there. Likewise, I look forward to meeting you there. Yeah. So I I had a smile when I saw the title of your talk, and I was so glad to see it's on somebody's agenda. Uh, Uh Can you uh, go into a little more detail about what you're addressing? I can, I can, and and um, I, as a as a veterinarian of over thirty years, and and, and an animal lover of of sixty five years, or I guess sixty years, because I was didn't really know I loved animals at a young age. I've watched the pet food industry kind of morph and change, and um, we've seen it go from you know just a plain old dog chow to to life stage kinds of dog, kind of dog foods that would be for you know different um, ages, puppies and seniors and. You know, and then we've seen, you know, the the um, the change with um, with the the um, naturally preserved foods, and and then we get to the grain-free diets, and so I, I've seen the pet food industry morph and change in terms of what their offerings are. And at the same time, when I talk to the pet food industry, they've been very resistant. Like, you know, the the nutritionists always say, "Oh, there's no nutritional dogs have no nutritional need for for vegetables." You know, and as a veterinarian, a holistic veterinarian, you know, I've always recommended recommended the feeding of vegetables and have seen in those animals that get the vegetables, you know, improvements, you know, in, in their health. And so what I've noticed is that the, the pet food industry really is responsive to consumer demand. For instance, breeders years ago noticed that when they started adding a thoxiquin, which is one of the ingredients I'll be discussing at this um, pet food meeting, when a thoxiquin started to be um, added to food, that um, their, their reproductive um, uh, rates were were going down. That their their breeding females were less thrifty. They they had smaller litter sizes. The the litters themselves were were not as large. And they also noticed changes in hair coat and, and things such as that. Mm-hmm. And as a result of consumer pressure, pressure by the breeders, 
um, and the showers um, on the pet food industry. The pet food industry started, you know, slowly, you know, one little range of products at a time to offer naturally preserved pet foods without a thoxiquin. And so mm-hmm. it's been going on for quite a while. You know, recently, you know, in 2007 with the pet food recall, um, which was terrible, you know, in which adulterated um, raw materials from China were, were put into pet foods that caused renal failure and death in a number of patients. I saw a number of those myself when uh, practicing at that point in time. The, uh, the American consumer and, and actually global consumer has become very, very cautious and aware of what the ingredients are. And because of the Internet and our ability to connect through social media and through um, websites such as Change.org where you can get, you know, uh, large numbers of people signing petitions, it's become a force to be reckoned with. And um, so this is really what I'm speaking about is, um, first of all, that the impact that these consumers have had on the pet food industry. I discuss a few of the ingredients that the uh, pet food activists um, themselves, you know, discuss and, and highlight as being potentially dangerous. And I try to explore what the science is. You know, I try to be objective. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there's maybe there the, cons- the consumer activists are right in their complaints. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're slightly right. You know, mm-hmm. they're shades yeah, of gray. Exactly. And so that's that's basically what I, I'm trying to do with this talk. And then, I, and then, really, this is more since I know this knew this was a conference for the industry. What I really wanted to do, my take home from this talk, was to tell the industry you need to listen to these consumers. They're on the leading edge of what consumers are looking for for their pets in terms of safety and quality and health. And that instead of being, you know, instead of, you know, denying the truth or denying or not listening to what they're saying, they should use this as an opportunity to formulate foods that, you know, that meet these standards because there's a huge demographic of consumers out there that are looking for that exactly. They don't want to have the old fashioned, highly processed pet foods that are adulterated with a lot of, with a lot of, pardon my French, crap. So that's mm-hmm. what it's about. I saw it as an opportunity to have an impact on the pet food industry in a scientific and objective way that might help them to listen more to to consumer needs and 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 to some of these ingredients that are in pet foods, which are there as part of the manufacturing process, but which don't do any good for the health of the animal. So my, that's my ultimate goal: is the health of the animal as a veterinarian. That's great. I was just thinking. I didn't understand. Uh, when all of this first started, uh, why there was such a pushback to such a huge block of consumers. Um, and obviously they could count the dollars going out the door simply by looking at sales at Whole Foods and uh, alternative uh, pet foods and how those companies were rising. Exactly. I mean, you know, to, na- to name names, you know, Science Diet, you know, which has always been kind of on the leading edge of scientifically formulated research-based foods, you know, um, you know, for years, you know, has resisted, you know, the addition of healthy ingredients in their foods. Uh, the, 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 the veterinary nutritionists, what they say is that it's not about the ingredients, it's about the nutrients. In other words, we could use corn gluten meal, which is a partial product of, of whole corn, because it provides us with this exact amount of protein with, you know, with this amount of, of carbohydrates, and then we can use that with our computer-driven formulations to increase the protein without, with, without using an expensive animal protein product. And so ultimately, you know, that's what the nutritionists are about has been the, the, um, 
you know, the nutrients. And yet at the same time, what the consumer looks at are the ingredients. And they're ignoring the fact that ingredients contain micronutrients, which may not be the, ma- the, the large macronutrients that they're mm-hmm. looking for in terms of protein and carbohydrates. But these micronutrients are really what drives health. My biggest complaint about pet food in general is it's processed, it's manufactured, you know, and it mm-hmm. dumps down the value of, you know, the fresh foods uh, whatever, that, that yeah. are in. And yeah. so I've been a strong proponent for years of, of home prepared foods. Not necessarily raw. I think raw has value, but it's not for everyone. But I think yeah. kitchen cooking, home prepared foods, resourcing good materials, can be very good. Unfortunately, you know, most people don't have time, they don't have the knowledge, and it takes a great attention to detail, and it's not necessarily cheaper to do that, but it is so much better. That's been my agenda. Yes, I, I, I was uh, smiling when you were talking about uh, the kinds of ingredients that um, the scientists are using to bring their protein levels up, etc., because the, the horror uh, and uproar uh, that was heard when people understood that they were grinding chicken feathers and uh, things like that uh, into the kibble and calling it good food. Uh, <laughs> it just, you know, it, it doesn't fit. Well, people people are, are common sense based in this way and they don't understand uh, uh, what the science uh, behind it is. And in many cases, they don't want to hear it because they want their beloved animals to be eating the same foods that basically they're eating Mm -hmm. um, so that they can feel that they're doing the best they can for their their pets and uh, that they last uh, for many years to come as opposed to expiring at the age of 15 or at the age of 12. Well, exactly. And um, but I, I think that, you know, the consumer is not technically trained. You know, and and we've noticed a trend, you know, in uh, the last really 15 years, which we're calling it the 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 industry is calling it the humanization of pets, and and that's exactly what it is. They they become our four-legged children, you know. Mm-hmm. And are we going to feed our two-legged children, you know, um, adulterated, highly processed food with preservatives and? GMOs and things like that. Well, there's some, you know, there's certainly a whole demographic of people that don't care about that. They don't mm-hmm. care about that for themselves. Right. But there's a growing demographic of, of, of consumers who are very conscious about what they eat for their own health, what they feed their children, and now what they're feeding their four-legged children. So it's, it, this is, this is what the industry has got to listen to because ultimately that's what's happening. As I was mentioning with Hills and the corn gluten meal, now you can see that there's, you know, there's, there's Hills products on the marketplace that have vegetables in them. They're naturally preserved. I mean, they're doing all the things that, you know, the, that the leaders in the industry years ago that were poo-pooed, you know, cornucopia and this and that, you know, these diets that were some of the first out there. You know, that had naturally preserved, that had vegetables in it, had all these, you know, wholesome, you know, whole food concentrates, you know, versus these isolated ingredients. And, and that's really what I support seeing. You know, the, 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 all, the bottom line is the whole is not the sum of the parts. And so it's, it, pet food is very reductionistic. We're, we're using partial parts of, of foods and we're putting them together in a, um, you know, in a, um, additive fashion. You know, so that we can provide all the things that we've scientifically decided that animals need. At the same time, every year, every five years, every ten years, the NRC revises their nutrient requirements 
because we're learning more. The science is changing. We're, we're able, to, we've, our measuring tools are better. And, and my feeling is, is the best way to feed an animal is wholesome with whole foods. You know, they're as, as minimally processed as possible. And although this is not a scientific concept, although it underlies some scientific concepts, I see the body as a lumberyard. And, you know, you just want to keep all your shelves of the lumberyard filled, you know, with all the different sizes of, of, of two-by-fours and two-by-sixes and plywood and, you know, and, and connectors and things because you never know what you're going to need to build, you know, versus just, you know, using what reductionistically you've decided an animal needs for maintenance and health. It's, 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 it works better. And, and I've, I've got a 30-year feeding trial in my practice, you know, by recommending wow. – against, you know, against the grain for many years. For many years I was considered, you know, kind of a bit of a weirdo. Now I'm kind of considered a bit of a prophet. <laughs> but, you know, but against the grain, you're recommending that people go home for almost any condition they come in and we start having them prepare home-prepared meals, good meals with wholesome grains in them if they're not sensitive to grains and, you know, and, and, whole, and whole meats, you know, maybe raw, maybe poorly, you know, maybe undercooked a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and vegetables, you know, for which the nutritionists say there's no nutritional need. And I have seen again and again animals that come in with chronic diseases that were not treated um, effectively by conventional medicine, by good quality veterinarians who cared, but they just simply followed that model. Um, and then you give them real food and bingo, give them a month and they are doing well. So um, that's that's um, been my approach. It's been my and, and it and has worked well. And so now I feel that the best thing for me to be doing really is to educate the consumer and educate the veterinarian because I, I can only put out one fire at a time in my exam room. And I'm, yeah. I'm in my 60s. I've been in practice over 30 years. It's time to slow down a bit. and It's time to reach a wider audience. So this is what I'm doing now with my life is, is and this is what that paper I'm presenting at um, Pet Food 2.0 represents as well is my attempt to try to help change things by education, by a voice of reason and objectivity, and trying to be as non-emotional as possible about it because I don't, I think I understand the emotional context that a lot of um, pet owners and, and consumer um, activists are coming from. They've lost their pets, their beloved pets to adulteration of food, something that could be prevented. So I understand they're angry. I understand they want to make change. But I also think that change happens, in my sense, from objective, rational conversation and dialogue, you know, versus, you know, th- throwing epithets at each other. I wanted to get back to a point yeah, sorry. you made about, no, that's okay, a point you made about um, nutritionists. And mm-hmm. I think your experience with pet food nutritionists from big pet food is telling in that it takes a long time to turn these massive businesses in a new direction. Um, I've seen, you know, smaller than Mars type pet food companies, nutritionists are pro vegetables. Well, more research is coming down, you know, that's showing us that it's not just the macronutrients, it's not just the protein, carbohydrates, fats, and fiber, you know, that dictate health. It's these delicate, you know, micronutrients, these, these glucosinolates from broccoli, you know, it's the, mm-hmm. the omega-3 fatty acids that we find in flax and fish, you know, that have very positive benefits and that without them, our animals develop these chronic diseases or are more susceptible to these chronic diseases. So maybe they're not caused by these things, but they're more susceptible, you know, for their tendency to develop them. And that's exactly the kind of thing that every pet parent wants to know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's things they can do. I think you know. I think you that that the pet owner can do to help their pet as far as diet. I've been focusing a lot on nutraceuticals, and basically, nutraceuticals are like you know um, the concentrated extracts of you know. Um, medicinal plants and and healthy foods that can be given as powders or pills or liquids. Fish oil itself is a mm-hmm. nutraceutical. Amino acids are nutraceuticals, and I've been working in that realm for the last twenty years, um, trying to find uh, and trying to put together formulas of nutraceuticals that veterinarians can use clinically, um, because you know we're just not getting the nutrients into our pets, you know. Uh, in the first place, you know, with wholesome food, mm-hmm. uh, people are busy. It's a it's a big world, you know. And 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 if if everyone had to cook for their own pet, we wouldn't be able to have as many um, pets being owned by by people, and we wouldn't yeah. be able to have as many pets be healthy. You know, that's where the pet food industry came. Was people were you know hand feeding their pets scraps, and they weren't balanced, so they would get. Too much meat and not enough calcium, so they'd get you know soft bones, or they feed them you know too much too much meat when they're growing. If they're a large breed puppy, and they get developmental bone diseases, and so so there's there's a lot that we're learning you know as our science is um, starting to um, improve in terms of our understanding of the role micronutrients play in maintaining and creating health. Thank you very much, Dr. Silver. Uh, I'll be happy to talk to you again uh, when Pet Food 2.0 is over and we can get a little bit more into what you talked about. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to that. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, I've, I've recently launched uh, a website to try to support uh, people whose pets have the cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called holistic-cancer-vet.com. And um, there's a contact number there. You can reach me through that website. Um, I think would probably be the the simplest way to go. I also do have a Facebook page, um, which I'm still kind of struggling to to get to be vibrant and exciting. And um, that would be um, holistic dot cancer dot vet. You know, Facebook forward slash. So those would be those would be good ways people could contact me if they wanted to. Um, you know, have some more of my uh, gems of wisdom. Okay, well that sounds great. And and you have an email contact page on your website. Absolutely, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Mary. I really appreciate the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. And to the audience, thanks for listening.